Episode 94 of From the Valley Podcast, Brisbane Life, and uh, we've got a very special guest on the show for episode 94. He's about nine foot four, he's a very tall guy. Brian Debert from Dirty to Birdie Golf. Uh, Brian Debert Golf, welcome along to the podcast. How are you? Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. That's great. Thank it's you very much. Good to be online, I suppose, as I had to say. Yeah, well, I don't know. So, yeah, everybody's online doing podcasts now because we can't see each other. So, that's exactly right. So, um, yeah, no, it's it's great. I, I listened to at least half of your show last night. That was quite in it, quite uh, good. Always some good topics. Yeah. Um, just to to give the listeners a bit of background, um, I guess where I first sort of uh, come across Brian was um, Brian Debert's uh, golf Facebook page. Um, I guess we could probably start there if you like. How did that all sort of come about? When did you sort of come up with the idea to to start what's become a very sort of uh, uh, I guess uh, popular, especially in, in this part of the world in Australia, uh, Facebook group that discusses golf generally, people that love golf, that sort of thing. What yep. sort of what was the motivation in getting that all well, started? I mean, first of all, thanks for the kind words. That's nice to hear. Um, I suppose it all started off because a, a long time ago, probably 2014, we started our YouTube channel. A few, a few mates of mine. We all, long story short, we all kind of a few of us started falling out. We went our own ways and. One main reason why, why I went my own way is because I didn't want to be told what I can and can't say from, you know, the PGA and the, I suppose the, the, the people in charge that would speak of golf. And I found there was a bit of a niche for just a page just to, you know, be honest and say stuff that sometimes can be stupid and funny. But at the end of the day, I think there's so much political correctness now in golf. really got quite a lot of it. Um, and I figured, you know, if there's a page that I can create that will keep people interested in and talking about the elephant in the room sometimes, and which I know like golf is sport, which is very traditional and pure, kind of like tennis in a way, with Wimbledon, where you know you've kind of got to toe the line. Where I think my page is more about just being honest and funny. I know some topics I put up there, like Cam and Williams, can get out, get out there a bit crazy. And that's why I probably had to put a few disclaimers. Just there's no right or wrong answer. You just have a topic and a conversation. But I think the page pretty much got created and just went from there, just on um, you know just just letting people be honest because at the end of the day I find a lot of golf pages now have to answer to someone you know yep. and a lot of people who run golf pages or work in the industry that's probably one key thing for me is I don't so a lot of people have to be careful what they say certainly when they do like pages in industries because if they work in that same industry they're accountable where I run a car cleaning company so really that's two different um, things so what I say in the golf industry is not going to affect me with cleaning cars on Monday you know what I mean so mm. um which, be it as a male, probably I've actually had a lot of business through my page of followers who are clean cast now for anyway, so it's mm. actually had probably a, a good effect, yeah. Excellent, mate. So that's an interesting spot to start, but I think just to bring the listeners into, I guess, how we sort of got connected initially, and uh, we've obviously played a couple of ga- days of uh, games of golf together and, and uh, golf days, etc. But uh, going back a bit further, whereabouts uh, were you born? What, where did you sort of live early in your life and that sort of thing? Yeah. So, uh, I was born in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, that's kind of, for anybody who doesn't know, probably about four hours south of Chicago in a different state. So, in the States, there we go. Yeah. Okay, so in Missouri. Mom, yeah, so Dad was in the US Navy, met Mum when she was backpacking X Mountain Perth. Um, Dad was, I think, like 
So I guess so that's where you were born and then uh, I guess how long were you sort of, I mean, where did you, anywhere else you sort of moved to early in your life, that sort of thing? Um, Any other places? We, we, we lived in America for, so I think we, I, I did grade one through, through grade 12 here in Australia. So we went, we lived and grew up in Zilmere um, mm-hmm. before it became like, like unit blocks and all that. Zilmere <laughs> School was a suburb back then. Yeah. Now it's just um, six six apartment buildings everywhere. Yeah. Um, and then I think we moved around from Stafford, places like that. But then uh, after grade 12, graduated Asbury High School, went to mm-hmm. college baseball in America for three and a half years. Then came back here, played a bit more baseball in the old Australian Baseball League, and then um, kind of got back into golf. Cause golf so was so going back a bit there, you, you were playing baseball um, yeah. as, a, as a child. I mean, that was obviously one of, was what your sort of number favourite sports sort of growing up as an early teenager? Or? You know, it was kind of funny way because when we first came here, um, Dad got into coaching cricket and he wasn't really accepted because he was this big, loud American voice on the cricket field. And I suppose he's quite intelligent when he learned sports very quickly, but I suppose he wasn't really accepted too early on because um, hearing an American accent on the cricket field back in the what, late 80s, early 90s really wasn't something people were happy for. So we played cricket for about two or three years and then I think we finally realised we weren't going to get anywhere because of Dad being American. So we just came across baseball. We didn't realise it was that it was really... It wasn't really too big when we first started playing. And then in that mid to late 90s era, you know, like baseball, basketball, everything just boomed. Remember the Brisbane Bullets? Yeah. Um, everything boomed back <clears> there, <throat> went through that high point, and that's when I got into baseball. And yeah, I think um, baseball and basketball is where I play, but when you get to a, like a, a certain level of sport, you kind of got to choose which one you want to keep going with and because I was six foot six and that's considered tall but that's not was that tall. were you sort of was you were you sort of a, a pitcher more or sort of a, in a hitter uh, I was a pitcher yeah so uh, although I was I was a hitter at first base and third baseman but when you get yep. there, you've got to pretty much choose which one you want to be which position yes yeah. there's a lot of people out there trying to do the same thing so you can't really diversify too much you've got to kind of put all your what you call all your eggs in one basket so um but yeah, so yeah, and I think golf to me back then was just like something I played outside of with friends, yep. which definitely turned into something more serious. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really interesting. So, and what about um, you? Probably can remember this. What was your uh, first job that you had as a youngster growing up? My first job was um, I, the first real job, I suppose. I, I used to when I was like before you could actually legally work. I think fifteen, I think. Yeah, that's, so I that I used one. To go around door knocking at Brighton doing odd jobs for cash. Okay. Um, but, but yeah, but actually, I mean, Dad laughed because one of the funny stories was there was a second hand shop closing up down the road at Brighton and they had a fish tank for $40 and, and for $40, brand new fish tank and a stand for $40 and in 1992, $40 is probably about like $200 more. You know, I don't know what, you know, comparison, but yeah. anyway, um, I, I got up at six o'clock in the morning and I was doing, pulling weeds, doing everything and I got to $35 and anyway, um, uh, a local, we lived, um, I'm not too familiar with Brighton, but they're safe yeah. heroes, I think. I lived in Brighton place. once, yeah. And um, the lady heard what I was doing, and then she donated me the extra $5 to get the fish tank, and uh, that was pretty much my first job. But my first real job was at Sizzler, as a um, dishwasher. And once you see how food's made in Sizzler, I, 
<laughs> it's kind of if nothing anything wrong there's just like a lot of hard water kind of products you know the mashed potato you just add water the chocolate makes you add water <laughs> so what used to be my favorite food was slowly not anymore after i worked there but i suppose you can say that for a lot of things in life like once you see how anything's made it changes your opinion so yeah well, it's, yeah, it's, those are some of the jobs there. So, obviously, as a teenager, golf obviously did interest you, but uh, obviously you're pursuing some other sports there for a while. Um, when did you sort of, um, when did, I guess, the switch hit um, as far as golf was concerned? When did you think, shit, I love golf, this is this is what I want to do, and how long ago was that? And, um, yeah, and when I, did... I, yeah, I suppose I've always played golf. I started playing golf when I think I was, um, when we moved out to Eaton's Hill, we were like the third house to be built out at Eaton's Hill, so we're talking like 1996 or 97. Yep. Um, there was a little course there called Albany Links. And, yes, yeah, um, I played Albany Links. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's shut down, unfortunately. But, yep. Um, I played my first ever game was a boxing day, but back dating a day or two, I got a, a dozen sporting plus golf balls and a half set of Brosnan. And back then, I thought, I didn't realise, I thought the golf balls you had were the ones you had to play with forever, kind of like baseball, where you kept the balls. I didn't realise you could lose the golf ball. <laughs> And so I remember I went down the golf park and stayed there for hours trying to find this last sporting plus that I must have chipped somewhere. I eventually found it. It wasn't until I got home that mum laughed and said, oh, no, you can lose a golf ball. Because when you come from baseball and basketball, you don't lose balls. You know, you, you collect them. Training wouldn't finish until there's 100 balls back in the bucket. Jesus, um, Jesus, Jesus. Yeah, it's kind of what people, mm. people lose and people don't care. But I suppose it took me to realise that golf was different. Like, golf was designed to lose balls. Otherwise, the manufacturers <laughs> wouldn't make money. Um <laughs> But yeah, I think um, I started playing. It wasn't. I never really played a serious like. I suppose I, I did play serious, but it wasn't really like a sport that I ever thought it was actually going to go anywhere. Not that it probably has, so to speak. But um, when you go to America and play, you pretty much got to sign a contract. When I played baseball in college, you wouldn't play any other sports. Yeah. Because when they give you a scholarship, they don't want you to get injured playing anything else. Yeah, fair so enough. So a bunch of us would usually have like a. Um, I can probably say the story now because it's been twenty years, but we would have this understanding where we'd. Um, say we're going to go grocery shopping at four o'clock today and that was code work for me to the golf course and play nine holes so <laughs> yes. the coach thought we were going grocery shopping but in reality we're actually going to go play golf so and the guy that used to run the golf pro shop knew about it and didn't care because he was still getting money so but it probably wasn't until um i came back and i joined a few clubs over here and got a handicap and got more serious um the golf was i played a lot more serious but so what was the um what was the first club that you sort of joined it as a club here in in this area Best club, um, probably, probably, probably right now, probably Nudgy. Like, I've been a member of one team as a junior, um, I was a member of the junior, and now I'm a member of Nudgy. Although, I'm a member of the ambassador for golf at Mullaney, so I do like Mullaney, but mm. um, I, well, I do find that the nice the golf course and you want to be a member at the money obviously goes up. So, I would love to be a member at RQ, but I couldn't justify no. that $10,000 nomination fee. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah, that's. I'd love to join RQ, but mm. ten thousand dollars can go a long way different ways. So yeah, no, I know most a lot of people that have been members at uh, either of those, you know, those clubs that you sort of mentioned, Wantima and uh, Virginia yeah. and Nudgee, and, uh, and Nudgee's obviously uh, played there not too long ago. They've obviously done a bit of a revamp on that course. It yeah. should come together quite nicely. It's looking quite good near the closer to the highway there. That those holes mm. there that they've done are looking looking really good. Uh, hopefully, yeah. when it's all finished, it's going to look great too. Yeah. Um, so I guess uh, that, that's some of the courses, that's some of the um, memberships you've been in this area. Have you sort of lived outside of Brisbane? Brisbane, the only sort of area you've lived in in Australia. 
Uh, we looked when I was when we first came back from America. We looked on the Gold Coast for yep. a couple of years. Um, I think that was during my preschool years. Um, but it's always ever been Brisbane. Like ideally, Christine and I would like to move to Tasmania. I think that's our long-term plan because mm-hmm. I think the housing affordability, climate, stuff like that, we do prefer that. But I suppose it's. Just, I reckon um, certainly it's. Tas- I mean, I was born in Tasmania. Um, I lived yep. the, my first twenty-one years there. Mm-hmm. Uh, beautiful place, um, yeah. and you know, and, and you can just uh, we'll talk to talk a bit about some of those golf courses on in Tasmania, but mm-hmm. um, just yeah, just a, a nice place. Um, it's obviously becoming a little bit more expensive in and around Hobart, but there's certainly a lot yeah. of um, affordable yeah, areas there, yeah, yeah. and I you know, kind of missed the boat for getting cheap housing. Once you sort of. Once you sort of go from you know, even Brisbane to, to somewhere like Tasmania and you can just travel so far and see, geez, that didn't take very long to go from here to here. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, that's, that's the sort of feeling you get when you live down there. It's sort of, you can get everywhere fairly quickly. You can get from one yeah. side of the state to the other. We found that um, there was no a traffic jam in Tasmania. It was totally different than up here. Yeah. So, and what they call big traffic down there was a lot different. Like, <laughs> yes. what they call it, yeah, you know. Um, yeah. I suppose you only know that when you live in like a big, you know, I think Brisbane's the third biggest uh, city in Australia. Yeah. So going from there down to Hobart, which is, I think, a quarter million people. I mean, actually, no, I think the whole state of Tasmania is under... There's about 500,000 all up yeah, there in yeah, Tasmania, so, yep. Yeah, so yeah, but um, no, that's kind of the dream. Mm. I think we're probably going to wait a few more years to do it, or at least buy a block of land and see what happens, so yeah. Yeah, buy a block of land, that sounds like a great idea, to be honest. Mm. Uh, it doesn't matter where, just somewhere where, near a beach even, or near somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah. It's, it's certainly the way to go. Uh, whereabouts is, what do you think is the most exciting or favourite uh, golf course that you've, um, that you've played on, uh, first of all, in Australia? Um, first of all, probably, uh, look, honestly, maybe I'll break it down. I'll say the one, the one I'd like to travel to the most, I feel, would be Richard River or um, Mulaney. But the most probably favourite one in Australia would probably have to be Lost Farm down in Tasmania. Um, I did come back from a trip to King Island. Those courses were lovely, but they're just um, sometimes I wish I was a professional golfer to really take advantage of how those courses are because I'd imagine, say, for example, going to play Augusta, I'd imagine the average golfer would get quite angry up in four or five holes because of how hard it is to really truly enjoy it. And I think that's why King Island was so amazing to play, but it was also just very, very hard on you go to take in too because it was just, yeah, but my favourite course without a doubt, Lost Farm, because it's, it's open... There's different ways to play it. There's, I think there's four or five different tee variations with like 100 metres in between each one. So, um, yeah, I should have. I'm, just, yeah. I'm dis- disappointed I didn't play Lost Farm. I played Barn Booger when I was there, but I didn't never played Lost Farm. So a bit yeah. disappointed. But uh, when you're with your wife, you, you, you know, she doesn't want... You can't get away with two days of golf. I couldn't get yeah. away. Yeah. Couldn't get away with two days of golf one after the other. So right. we played Barn Booger. But, uh, yeah, certainly, yeah, would have loved to have played Lost Farm. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so that's I guess. Uh, have you? What's about, what about overseas? Is there anywhere overseas that you've played that has been quite exciting? Of course, um, I'd say I've played. Uh, well, I'll give you three. I played Royal Hawaiian. Royal Hawaiian Gold Cup was amazing because we played there on a. I was at my sister's wedding, and normally it should have been about four or five hundred dollar green fee, but we got it for seventy dollars because Jesus, that's good. Some kind of Hawaiian holiday where the locals weren't playing, so tourists got on cheap. Um, then I'd probably say Marina Bay in Singapore was amazing, but they're probably my favourite club I've ever what, played. What was the club. price like to play in Marina Bay? Was that pretty expensive? 
Yeah, well, I was um, well, I got obviously free because we did a film there. But oh, really? Wow. Charging, I think it was incredible. Like I, I can't remember what it was because if you're a local there, I think it's quite cheap. But if you're a tourist, it's really expensive. Um, so, but I think uh, the Els Club in Langkawi in Malaysia was probably the best course I've ever played in my life because it was just we were the only ones playing it because apparently there was a rumor the Prince of Malaysia was going to play golf, so nobody went to the course. We had the entire course to ourselves. But it's just kind of in that climate where it's hot and steamy, grass is always green, and it, the whole course, even the rough where you don't really, they don't really make nice. It was just like honestly, you could lay that, that grass in your bedroom, the carpet, and you be angry. So. But I think in those courses, what I liked it the most is because golf is part of the experience, you know, from getting dropped off to, like, they clean your clubs before you go on the course. They clean your clubs after you come on the course. You get to have a shower, you get a towel. They make a driving range ball, pyramid for your hit balls from. They give you cool towels to come out, you know, like you have caddies. Like, it's a whole experience. And I don't think we really have that over here. I think it's more of an Asian kind of thing because over there you're buying an experience. Over here it's probably more about the golf. Yeah. Mm. What about in America, sort of in the main part of America, any any sort of uh, other courses over there? Um, no, because when I was over there, the only courses we could play were the ones, like I said before, like on the down low. Mm. Uh, we weren't allowed to play um, any any really nice courses because a lot of the courses knew the colleges and knew the players, so we had to play like little nine-hole courses that were just, um, you know, like go tracks and things. Yeah. They weren't bad, little, little, like in between. Um I never, because when I was over there, we weren't really allowed to play it, so I wasn't really allowed to really focus too much on it, which was probably a pity because um, there's so many courses over there like that I would have wish wow. I had the opportunity to. Endless. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, the court, like, for example, yeah, I probably played most of my golf in the wintertime. That's because when we were doing a lot of our training indoors, so a lot of people could sneak out. So, you know, in America, when the courses are in the wintertime, all the ponds, they call them, were frozen, so you could literally drive a par four or you just almost drive a par five because the ground was so hard and frozen the ball just keep going and it would actually roll over the um the hazard that's probably one of the funniest parts but no i never really get to play any big name courses it's just usually the little yeah little nine hole ones are off the off the track yeah yeah i mean i haven't played too many courses overseas but one that we we I've sort of played the day i got before i got married in las vegas was the las vegas national and that was, um, I think Tiger Woods won in there in 95 or 90, 96, I think, one of his first wins on that yep. particular course. So that was finishing the 18th hole and it was getting dark, I remember. And, um, yeah, I, I can't believe I left, let, let my younger brother beat me on the last hole, basically. <laughs> I think I shot like a nine on the last hole or something ridiculous. Yep. Um, went in the water twice. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, um, best course that I like in Australia that I've played, um, I don't know, probably Barn Boogle. Probably mm. Barn Boogle. I think um, certainly the, the nicest course. Um, I think Brookwater, I think to me, Brookwater was a lot harder to play, as yeah. was, um, I mean, most of the holes on Pacific Harbour are even probably harder than than that yeah. of um, Barn Boogle. I think Barn Boogle's, it's short, but it's, some of the holes are short, but. It's still just beautiful, and uh, there are there's some tricky stuff going on as well in some of those holes, and I'll never forget yeah. the birdie I got on one of those holes. So yeah, that was. Well, I think at Bar Boogle lost Bar, but you get a party birdie. Yeah, well, because each hole is so hard. I think it was the seventh hole. Yeah, the seventh hole hitting a like a three iron hybrid or four iron hybrid into the wind and just yeah. up in the air, bang, went rolled past the hole, and then. Basically chipped chipped in off the just off the edge of the green, yeah. 
And I don't, well, I don't think anybody that complains about bunkers around here needs to go down there because it's not you see a bunker that's 25 feet deep <laughs> yes. and it's 30 metres long. That you, then you'll actually realise your bunker up here isn't too bad. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Do you, now, I guess I sort of got more into golf, um, I guess, about 10 years or just over a decade ago. I started to get into it really in a, in a bigger way, I guess, I, more so than in. So I've only really been playing golf for the last, you know, 12 years and, and not that regularly, really, 12 to 13 years. Um, once we started, once I started doing charity golf days, it was an idea where um, we said, okay, well, this is, this is going to make money for our Apex Club. We can do a charity golf day. We did the first one at one teamer back mm-hmm. in about 2008. I think it was about 2008, quite some time ago now. And then from then on, I decided, shit, I was going to learn and play a bit of golf. And, you know, I think me and my mate were playing at Albany Links fucking three times a week yeah. uh, before work uh, for a while. So it was a good way to learn, and it was very, very fun. And then I started following it on TV. I'd go down to, um, in 2011, I went down to the um, President's Cup down in Melbourne. Mm. And uh, Tiger and Tiger Woods and, and all of those guys were playing, and... It was quite fun to actually go and watch the event. So I was, I was really into it there for a while. Even my wife sort of got into it. Yeah, she was definitely into golf a bit as well. Yep. Um, so that's how I sort of got into it. But uh, I guess we're sort of going with this question is, who, who, who are the sort of players that you sort of followed uh, their careers and uh, who do you support the most in, I guess, over the, in, name anybody over the course of time? Uh, yep. Who's your favourite player worldwide and in Australia? I suppose um, my favourite player of all time, obviously, is probably going to be boring, but it's Tiger Woods. And I know a lot of people probably don't like that, but I probably I find I can separate what he did outside of golf to what he did in golf. Yep, makes and sense. Honest, I th- and, I, and I think like it's kind of like anything in real life. I think if you dig deep, deep enough in anybody's social life, you're going to find stuff they're not proud of. And obviously, Tiger's was magnified because you know well, who he was. Um, but I actually I really like following like when Christine and I go watch golf. I like following like um, no-name players. I know it sounds disrespectful, but with no-name players, you don't have any crowds. You can actually hear the Katie's conversation. You get to know some of his players. And I think that's why I like Stuart Ackerby so much because when I first got into golf and went to watch, I think it was the Australian PGA RQ, like in 1997, I think it was. I think Corey Pavin, US Open winner, was there. But back then, Stuart Ackerby wasn't huge. So I got, to, I got a bit of a following. I got to like him, and I found he was kind of like a typical Aussie guy playing golf. But um, <clears throat> I often find now, as I suppose we're running the page, it's... When I, when I ask these questions too, it's quite interesting to see what people say because I think, you know, like, I think as much as there's a lot of hatred out there for, say, people like Tiger, there's also as much love as well because I think, um, you know, I think there's there's players out there that, you know, it's kind of like John Daly. Like, I love John Daly, a lot of people don't, but the trouble is without characters in the sport, the sport becomes a bit boring. Yeah. And, that's... and not to say, like, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like what he did, like, drinking all this type of stuff, however. <laughs> We all can't be squeaky clean like Roger Federer in, in the tennis world because it'd all be boring. You know what I mean? So, mm. you know, I hate John McEnroe, but if you take him out of the sport, then you might lose a bit of that, uh, you know, entertainment factor. Yeah. You know, but um, I suppose maybe that's why coming coming talking about tennis, I like um, Nick Kyrgios and stuff. I mean, they act yeah. like little snots, granted, but yeah, it, it's sometimes exciting to watch. You can live your life through a bit. But um, mm. no, I think favorite golfer all time, Tiger was the one I looked up to the most. Stuart Appleby. Mm. Um, and I did like Jared Lyle as well because I found like yeah. Jared Lyle, like, he was still working at the golf clearance warehouse up until about two or three years ago, I think. So in between tournaments, he was working at a golf shop and apparently he was approachable and had chats and stuff like that. So you've got to give up to guys like that that, that mm-hmm. aren't above 
above certain areas yeah. of life, you know what I mean? They still mm. have a foundation, like, yeah. Mm. This is interesting, you probably don't know, this is one of my, I guess, favourite golfers, a bit of a character though, Robert Allenby. Because mm. uh, I, I used to, he had a bit of an attitude and he... You do. I mean, I know it's not. It's I know it's disrespectful to talk down to your caddies, and I know all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But it's sometimes it just gives me a little bit of a laugh. I don't know why. It just. Well, I think like, I I am fifty fifty on that one because as much as I don't like them, I respect them too. Because let's face it, when it comes to the Luke Luke Foundation, the mm, yes. I yeah. can't really name another player off the top of my head that does as much as he does a lot. Yeah, I agree. Um, and as much as, you know, like that Hawaii incident happened, which is, oh, God knows where we'll get to the bottom of that, you know, he was found in the trunk or something. He, <laughs> yeah. he was drunk, he yeah. gambled too much. But um, I do find, like, you need guys like him in on tours and in life because, like, the whole Roger Federer, I'm not thinking it's Roger, but if everybody was boring, not boring, but just everybody playing it safe, and you wouldn't have these stories to talk about. Yeah. And I find that Robert Allen be like, you know, like, for a while there, when that incident happened, he was no one cared about his golf. He was just that guy on the golf tour that woke up on the side of the road from Hawaii. Um, but no, I do find like he's done a lot for the game. You know, like um, I don't think he's won a lot lately, but no, he hasn't won for probably a more than a decade or about a decade. Yeah, but I, mm. For some reason, last night I started looking at his career earnings. He's won twenty or thirty million dollars. Yeah, so yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, so he's still probably what he's doing right now is probably a tax write write off for him. You know, like yeah. the interest he's you know. But, yeah, I know. So yeah, yeah, no, he's good. Um, mm. Some of the other players that I think, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm amazed at Rory McIlroy. He's been, uh, you know, he sort of came onto the scene about ten years ago, and uh, he's he's just a just phenomenal. That someone that with a small sort of build like that can drive the ball so so far. And sorry, funny came out a couple of days ago. I was reading. I was saying that Rory McIlroy is the most highest rated player that gets the most unlucky bounces in golf. And what they were saying is they. I'll, I'll send you a link on YouTube, but they were yep. showing where his ball was bouncing on greens and he was getting, you know, bad hops here and there. And he was saying he's one of the most unrewarded players in golf. But it's true because you watch his swing, it's amazing. You know, mm. the power he has to drive to drive the ball, but yet I don't think he hasn't really done much in what last two or three years, I think. You know, like um, he's either been injured or mm. missed, missed a few cuts and stuff. But um, yeah. It's uh, what we find though. It's, it's so hard to. It's really hard to stay at the top, isn't it? It, it just shows, that, yeah. and that sort of comes back to how good Tiger Woods was in his prime. This guy, yeah. from about uh, you know 1997 all the way up to 2009, yeah. 12 years was just nobody was. There were people winning in between, but not too many. Yeah. Man, there was fucking. There wasn't. There wasn't a lot of other winners that were sort of that, that think, consistent. And I think the thing a lot of people forget is a lot of players like that in other sports. You know, like Tour de France, you'll find out they were on drugs or they were doing this and this. Where Tiger Woods' stuff was what he did off the course, you know? Yeah. So he was yep. able to do that all off the course and still maintain that on that. Mm. And so it does make you wonder, like, if he wasn't doing that off the course, how much better could he have been? How much better could he have been? Exactly. Like he was winning so much, um, you know, and sometimes you feel like some of these lesser tournaments he didn't win, it's kind of like, well, you know, maybe he wasn't taking that serious the big ones, you know, like, I don't know, but. Um, no, he did one. He's won a lot. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and then you know Jordan Spieth. You know he's sort of gone for a bit of a patch. They're all all, all the great ones, all the good ones, certainly go through patches where they just don't win. And uh, yeah. uh, you know Adam Scott was dominant and not so dominant. And Jason Day it sort of just goes round and round, doesn't it? So it's very hard to stay on top. It's just such a. It's. I'm not saying it's not a grueling sport. It's not like. It's not like. Um, you're physically getting brain damaged or anything like that, but you'll basically no. just have you, you're you know there there are 
because of the, the regularity of how often you play, it's yeah. such it's such a hard game to for to stay on top of and be exactly the same yeah. every single time you turn up to the same course to the you know to yeah. the same yeah. And it was like I said before, like, you know, any sport that's played on a natural surface, like golf, like, like not talking soccer because all the surfaces are flat, but on golf, like I was saying with Rory, like you could land a foot over to this side over here, your ball kicks that way, and Tigers kicks that way, a different way. And so a lot of these sports are so unpredictable. Like a lot of golf, like where the ball lands, what it's going to do, how it's going to land in the bunker. It's just, you know, Rory, if he had a different shot or a different approach or what hole, his, his career could have been a bit different, you know what I mean? And I think that's kind of... Um, you know, I think it was like Jordan Smith at the British Open moment where he had to take the drop on the um, the driving range. You remember, I know, yeah, he took the drop near all the range trucks or whatever it was, like two or three years ago, was it um, at St Andrews or something? And, you know, his life could have been a little bit different had he would have hit that second shot out of bounds again, you know what I mean? Like, but all of a sudden now, it's become like they've had its own little um, documentary on it, that whole lot itself, because of him, how he played it. Like, I suppose golf's a sport where if you win one tournament, you win three or four million dollars, you, you've kind of, well, Providing you're pretty sensible how you have your money, you're pretty much set, aren't you? Like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, unlike other sports where I think a lot of like tennis players have to play, you know, a lot of these lower key matches like in Miami and all these other weird places just to make a go at it. Where golf you can potentially win one decent place, one decent tournament, and you're set. You know, like. Mm-hmm. Okay. <coughs> So I guess uh, a bit about your, when did you first start getting into um, doing what you're doing now as far as your business for car detailing? When did, how long ago did that all start, Brian? Um, I worked at Redcliffe High as a teacher's day because I was starting to become a teacher. So I was there after college baseball, so 2003 and four, And I just didn't find I wasn't enjoying it because of my size, I was probably uh, more used as like a, an enforcer in like problem kids and stuff like that where I just didn't want to do that. So I, I, I end up cleaning, going home, and I went out to work and cleaning my car and enjoying it. And then I cleaned friends' cars, friends' parents' cars, and then I decided to get an ABN and went from there. So the first few years was kind of slow. Um, but then it probably turned into a full-time job that year two or year three. Um, and then ever since then, it's just been pretty full-on. So it's kind of been doing it like, since 2005, so 15 years. Um, met a lot of people. So 15 before. years, that's quite a while. That's pretty good. Hmm. Yeah, well, I think when, when I asked the question, when people ask me how long have I been doing it, I used to say, oh, you're not, like, not that long, you know, it's just been a new job. And I realised, oh, hold on, no, it's, I've done this the most I've ever done in my life for any other job, so it really is what I do. Um, and I do like it, I don't like it. I, I suppose the best part about it is the hours I have. So I start at 6 in the morning, I'm usually finished by 12. A lot of people say I don't work that much, but the trouble is I don't take breaks. I work a solid six hours. Like that. Yeah. Mm. So... Um, and where, when I'm on my lunch break, the average person's starting at 9 o'clock in the day. So, um, but yeah, it's it's kind of a boring job, but I mean, you, your job satisfaction is kind of funny because you see the car on the worst day and you leave it on its best. You don't actually see it in between. So you come back and you do it all over again. So, um, yeah. But obviously you meet different people, you see different cars, so there's probably some, yeah. there's obviously enough variety there for to, to obviously get you where you've got 15 years doing it, so... Yeah, you see all walks of life, you know, the rich, rich and the poor, the poor kind of thing, you know, flipping cars and trying to make money and cleaning Bentleys and, yeah, so you, you see all walks of life, all different kind of conversations and you're right, you meet all different types of people and... But, yeah. and then also when you've been doing it as long as you've been doing it, you know, you, you can always, con- people can always consider that you're an expert at doing it, you know, you're, you've, you've got... Well, the ex- I think I forget sometimes because when people say I clean cars professionally, I always go, oh yeah, that's my job, and I forget what I suppose 
kind of the professional card in talent because that's why I've never really considered myself that because I thought, I, you know, like if somebody comes over and paints my house, I call my house painter, but then but realistically they're a professional painting service. But mm. I suppose nowadays we just say you should call them a trade, whether it's a car cleaner, a painter, mm. a plumber. Mm. You just forget about it that it's actually, it's a profession. Like, mm. It's a matter of some, someone else, uh, and you would have come across this where other car detailers haven't done such a good job and the, and you said, oh, shit, you should, they should have done this, they should have done that. Yeah, know? yeah. And I think, talking about social media, that's probably the one thing that's really come into our industry is um, people wanting to do it on the weekend for a bit extra cash or they say, oh, uh, for example, I think there's one guy around my area that's a panel beater, so he wants to make a bit extra cash so he does it on the weekends. But he, um, all the customers that use them then post on Facebook, you know, can you come back and finish the job and he just blocks them, you know, like, so I suppose the best thing about me is I've been going 15 years. I've got a page on, for my car company, cleaning company that's gone for about 10. So there's a bit of history there, people can see it. But I think you can say that about a lot of, a lot of trades now is that everybody, social media, what they have brought in, and also that um, that other place, there's another app where you can register a service and they come and do it, I forgot what it's called, but um, you, you probably need to check their background first too because everybody, you know, everybody can clean a car but can they do it properly? And I think that's the difference is um, people want their service done as cheap as they can but you can't actually get cheap and quality don't, don't go mm. together. And you can probably say that about anything in life. My computer and accounts and stuff, somebody says I'll do it for half price, you kind of kind of wonder why. Yeah. Um, what quarters they cut in. Yep. Yeah, so what, what's just uh, just to be, give your uh, business a bit of a plug, what's the name of the business and how they best uh, to contact you as well? It's Blitz, B-L-I-T-Z, Blitz Car Detailing. It's on Facebook. I don't run a website because I find nowadays. As long as um, they've got the Facebook page, media. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and social media, search engines go above websites anyway. Um, my phone number is 0402 620 but that's all on there. So, and I'm on the Brisbane North site, so pretty much from the inner city, Brisbane River, to that north places where I go. A lot of people get upset I don't get further out with the travellers, it's petrol, it's more time and stuff like that, so yeah. I just have my own little area and that's where I work in, so yeah. That's exactly, that's great. Yeah. Now just um, going back to um, golf a little bit, just, it's obviously what I do love about the, what your page does, the um, Dirty to Birdie, where did the actual name Dirty to Birdie come from first of all? Is it just roll off the tongue one day and it stuck or...? Yeah, I think because I used to be called Bruce Bryan Digger Golf Vlogs Australia, and I started yep. doing some videos because it's just, it's too time consuming. Um, when you do a video, if you say the wrong word, for example, a quick story, I did yep. a video and I was doing a review on a glove um, from Forte Golf, and they loved the review because all it was was mm. a universal fit glove, meaning if you had a big hand or a small hand, this glove was going to fit. And because I've got big hands, and I said on the review, and this is not the company that got angry, this is YouTube and Facebook. Um, I saw YouTube, I said, unless you're a midget or a giant like me, you probably don't want to buy this glove because it's probably going to rip or it's going to be too big. And the Forte laughed and they said, it's true, it's made, you know, more people are, you know, 90% of people are middle average size hands, so that's what they made it for. And anyway, you got flagged on YouTube, I got a year ban for a certain, I can still put videos up, but I got a year ban in terms of uh, getting, allowing my videos to trend and stuff like that. And so I just thought, oh my God, like, you know, you can go on YouTube, if you dig deep enough, you'll find and find Mexican drug, drug cartel images. And I've gone and said, you know, something like midget or a giant, and I got in trouble for that. So I decided to leave YouTube and create a Facebook page. And then I realized, well, I'm not doing videos anymore, so I can't call myself that. And then anyway, um, a nickname of mine was Diverti. And I can't remember how it came about. We were playing in Mulaney, and somebody said that was a dirty shot to Diverti, like that. And we were all laughing, going, that's a pretty cool dirty Diverti golf. And the funny thing about it, I find myself explaining that why is it called Dirty Diverti? It's like, oh, it's just an expression, you know, like, yeah. because 
Macca's as McDonald's, you know what I mean? It's just kind of, yeah. it just grew from there. Yeah, and I that's think, cool. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. So I, I, I suppose marketing-wise, it's probably not the best move, but then again, people remember the name Dirty Diverty. Yeah, exactly. I'm an old lady at the golf club will go, why is it called Dirty Diverty? It's like, ah, oh, it's probably not aimed at you. You know what I mean? The thing is, it's, it's obviously, uh, you don't want to confuse people too because it, it, it's yeah. still, it's, it's, it's great, uh, it's a great sort of Facebook uh, group that, that you've, you've formed there. So it's all really good stuff, you know, great, great knowledge that's been shared, great ideas, great uh, tips um, and, and basically what everyone thinks about this and what everyone thinks about this issue. It's all great and I love the, the can of worms thing you're doing and, and the yeah, lives. I think, and... I think the beauty about social media, I think what a lot of pages have got is that I think with the can of worms thing I say, there's no right or wrong answer, it's a healthy conversation. Mm. And I think a lot of gold pages that are accountable to say other brands or people or associations, they kind of have to toe the line of what they say. Mm. And I suppose if I was, um, say if I was a gold prop, my local gold shop, I would probably run this page because you know, like any industry, stuff gets around and you don't want to be known for that guy that's rocking the boat where, like, um, I know a lot of pros when they meet me or say hello, they like it, but they don't publicly put their name to it because they're afraid of what comes of it. Because I think the PGA's got to be an upstanding image. It's got to be, um, you know, T-shirt tucked in, no swearing, stuff like that, where, and I'm not saying there's anything right or wrong with that, I'm just saying it's kind of like where they've got to keep up an image. Mm. But I think with my page, it's kind of like, there's no real image to keep up. We're not doing anything wrong, but we're just talking about the stuff that generally other people don't talk about. You know, um, I think it's kind of sometimes it, it's it's good for a page to allow things to be talked about in a healthy way rather than just bottling it up and then it all comes out at the wrong place at the wrong time. And I think what we're seeing right now is kind of like with the coronavirus lockdown and stuff. I think there's a lot of people that are dying to have an opinion to say, but um, they don't want to say it too loudly because, you know, the, the sole majority don't want to listen to a kind of thing. So... Um, and I think that's why I've been kind of focusing a bit now on what's been happening now with the virus because it's, um, I think there are a lot of people out there that, you know, you know, you generally want to talk about, but there's no real avenue for them to talk about it. So, yeah. Yeah, no, excellent. No, and probably the, one of the other things, just to fit one of the last things to talk about, unless you've got something else. Um, no. the, the the golf trips that you organise, I mean, I wish I'd been on one, on come on one of them, uh, you know, obviously they're really good and you're getting... You know, all the people from all over the eastern side of Australia together in, in a lot of cases coming out to, you know, tell us a bit about some of the golf trips that you've had, what you guys have got up to. The Coral Cove one sounded like that was a really good trip last year. Yeah, and sure and, uh, and obviously King Island was a, a bit of a different trip where you're sort of going with, I guess, people that wanted to go over to King Island. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Well, King Island was organised by somebody else, but they invited me along. Um, but I know I knew all them through the page anyway, the Tampere Mountain Golf Club, but... The Coral Cove one we organised, um, it was it was actually quite amazing because like the spots filled up real quick. But I think of the value. But I, I suppose the difference between what I'm doing and maybe like a professional tour group is, um, I just the, the page makes no money because it's it's hard to justify you know making money because then when you start making money, you, you're accountable. Where if you, it's clear that you're not really making money, people aren't really that don't get that upset then. But um, the Coral Cove trip, I think it was like two hundred and fifty dollars or something like that for three nights accommodation. Yeah, that's probably cheap, isn't money. it? Yeah, exactly. And if you're complaining about that, then you can, you know, you can probably complain about a lot of other stuff too. But um, so about I, I generally a dozen think, people on that trip was it? About twelve? I had... think it was six, no, 14, 12, Because we had sixteen on. I think it was yeah, twelve or thirteen. No, it might have been. No, I think it was fifteen. Mm. I can't remember because I know we had sixteen. We had four groups of four. Mm, okay. Yes, yeah, so it would have been sixteen because two people that came along came along for the golf and they followers with a page from Rockhampton, and I think. Um, 
Pangara, Pangara, Pangara. Um, but no, generally, I do find they're hard, like, especially when you're running. I find that the trips that are easy to organise the ones you go away for. Mm. The, the, the golf days that are the ones you plan, like at Mullaney or wherever else, they're hard to plan because they're the ones that people are more likely to skip out on, not go. Any kind, of, any kind of trip where you're asking people to pay money up front, you know how serious they are. Any kind of golfing trip or thing you plan where people can pay money on the day, they're the ones that people are like, oh, I forgot about it. You know what I mean? So it's like anything in life. But um, I think it's kind of like um, the page has, whenever I do like a golf day, you see a totally different, um, sort of very different kind of group as what you might see at another golf day. Mm. A lot of social golf, golf clubs are usually guys between the ages of 45 and say 60, where at some of my golf days this week we'll have some ladies playing different ages, we'll have a lot of guys playing from the ages of say 14 or 15 up to 80. So it's quite a different group and with, with the golf days I try to do, we try to basically, basically say that even if you came with three guys in a car, we don't want you to play with those three guys because you know them. So you're mm. better off going out there and playing with different yeah. people. I agree. Like, it's, it makes a better yeah, bring day. Your bring your business cards. When you exchange, shake hands at the end, give a business card out because it's all about, you know, meeting people, getting it out there. So, yeah. Excellent, mate. I guess uh, any sort of any, anything else that you wanted to add to the podcast today? Any other stories that you wanted to tell or uh, anything else? No, no, really. I suppose um, my golf page is probably the hat there for, um, where I give a golf. But, yeah, just um, I think... Um, yeah, I don't know. I like. Uh, I suppose the one question I always get asked is, "What's the future of the page?" And I really don't know. The future of the page is just keep it going, man. I just love it. I reckon yeah. the future of the page is. I mean, it, it's, it's it's like anything. I mean, I started the podcast as a bit of a um, uh, something to keep me occupied, I guess, just to mm. find out more information about people that I wanted to find out more information out about, get them to share their stories, Brian. And uh, it's been great yeah. to have you on. You know, as a guest on the podcast, I think you. You, like everybody, you've got a different story. You've got, a, you know, you've you've got some. You're doing some great things in the world. Um, I think having a Facebook page that you know people are interested in and that you created, it's it's uh, it's 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 something certainly to be proud of. And uh, and don't forget that. I mean, you 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 certainly got some, a good number of followers. You, you do a lot of good things, you know. And I think you got to remember that all the time. And and people do care about it, and people obviously love it. And uh, they love golf, you know, and that's that's what it's all about. They they they've got a, a connection with golf, and uh, there's not a lot out there for them to. There's not many other Facebook pages pages that that are out there that they, people know about, like yeah. yours. I mean, yours is pretty much one of a kind. It's it's there's not. I'm sure there's other pages out there, but I, I haven't seen them. I haven't come across them. And it's funny you say because I, th- I think a lot of people ask me that, and they say, "What?" And that's the next question is, "What is the future of it?" Because they don't know what it is, and because they've never seen it before. And I said, honestly, the future is, like I said before, I don't know, it's just going to be what it is. But I think, some, like I said before, it's, it's sometimes it, it does weigh your toll on you because when you get a page of a certain size, you get a lot of opinions that you never used to have in your page, you say a quarter of a size. And you do yeah. get like a lot of know-it-alls, a lot of people that think yeah, they know it all. you're going to get that. You're certainly going to get that, that's for sure, yeah, as you, you get more people. Fingers, you, yeah, exactly, yeah. And sometimes it gets you down, but I think it's over the last few weeks, I've just realised that sometimes it's better just to like the comment and ignore it. Because exactly. Like you got you. Yep. It's if, very if important. You're engaged, yeah. If you if you engage, you're like a fish biting a hook in the ocean, like, and that's what they want. Like sometimes I troll myself with a few friends and stuff, but it's usually because it comes out of love and we're just having some fun. You know, I mean, like a story. But um, I think some people now, especially on social media, they really get the jollies out of like watching a page or watching, say, a thread or a comment just turn to shit. You know, like yeah. Um, but uh, you know, but um, I suppose that 
I suppose like anything else, when your page goes from say 100 people to 1,000 people, you're going to get 10 times more of anything, everything. So, um, yeah, but I think um, it's, my page is a bunch of guys that like golf and they've, you know, they've met a lot, a lot of people who've become friends through it and stuff. And like you said, I, I think I started the Facebook page because I felt there was a bit of a, a niche in the market that wasn't filled in terms of just like a page that could be about lifestyle. I mean, have Christine's on there, Macy's on there, the dog. You know, the golf page is about golf, but if we go to the market to buy a nice coffee or something like that, we'll put that on there too. So it's kind of, um, I think the page is, it's more, I suppose the easiest way to say it's just a life, I don't know, like a life um, a life update, you know, whatever we're doing, you know what I mean? Mm. So mm. That's um, great. And it, it, would, it could almost be a golf page where you don't see Amy actually playing golf for the next three months, you know what I mean? Exactly. So it's kind of, yeah, but yeah, that's it, so yeah. What and um, any sort of other hobbies that you have? I know I, I did notice that you obviously like to follow the Brisbane Bullets there as well during the season. Yeah, I mean I, I played basketball my whole life, and it wasn't until my dad basically said we've got to, you know, well you reach when you get like decent enough at any sport, you kind of got to pick which way you want to go. And like I said before, I think I was six foot four back then. I'm six six now, and Jeez, yeah. realistically in basketball terms, that's not tall. In real everyday life, people will look at me like, oh look how tall he is. But when you go into college, you see basketball players. That's if you play basketball, the point guards are six foot six, um, and I, I didn't really have great vertical jump, so I was never going to go anywhere out of Division Two basketball. But um, I like basketball. I like lawns and turfs, and it's funny. The funny thing about I like grass so much is I didn't realise, but I'd say at least ten percent, maybe twenty percent of the people who follow my page are into that too. So by me putting photos of my lawn, I'm actually learning from my followers what to do. So when I actually had grubs. I think I don't know if you remember I put a photo on my lawn and within about an hour somebody told me what to do what to buy and I think yeah. Stuart who watches my page actually runs three buttons up the coast so he actually sent me product images of what to get so it's kind of like it's a I suppose it's my life and Christine's life on show and then everybody else can see and engage and like that that's probably part of a different question you asked before but I suppose I'm into golf, uh, golf turf food yeah. I don't know. I mean, and the thing, the thing is, you as a follower will find out what I'm into when I put a photo yeah, up. Exactly. So, yeah. And, uh, yeah, what's your uh, favourite NBA team? Do you follow the NBA at all? It's funny. I, I used to follow Chicago Bulls as my favourite NBA yep. team. But I find Back in the day. Yeah, like, I find I follow, follow college basketball more than the NBA because I follow Fa- the Favourite college team? Um, probably Missouri, University of Missouri. Where, where um, you're from, yeah. Kansas, yeah, Kansas State. But I find college basketball... <laughs> It's more of a team game. They yep. pass it more. Where the yep. NBA, it's just about shooting threes and dunking the ball. It is. That's what, that's, become, that's what it's become. That's what it's become. Yeah. It's basically just an extension of their All Star Weekend. But I, I follow the bullets, and I've um, I like AFL, but I've always I like an underdog. And mm. I think what I like—that's probably why I follow the Gold Coast Suns. But it's hard. But, <laughs> yes, um, the Gold Coast Suns. But... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, because I, I really just liked what happened with Lee Matthews at the Lions back then. I just felt like the players got a bit too much, in my opinion, it just felt like they got a bit too much control and then they kind of pushed them out and mm. that's another story. But yeah. I think what I liked about the Suns was a bit of a fresh place for me to go for. But honestly, like, I, a team like the Gold Coast Suns find new ways to lose games. And when you drive an hour down to go watch a game, that means you've got to drive an hour back. And that's a lot of conversation, a lot of anger in the car. And I found we were stopping at Yatma Pies, singing our sorrows <laughs> and buying a donut. Wondering what the hell is going on. I haven't been there for but, a while, but I love the Atla Pies. Oh, yeah. yeah. But no, basketball, baseball, golf, that's my sports. Um, I, I, I play anything, really, anything that kind of, you know. Um, but yeah, I think the page and what I'm into is pretty much, you know, I'll take a photo and put it up there and I'll find out if anybody else is into it. And then I'll, you know, I'm generally, I'll get more into things as more, as more people get into things, you know what I mean? So, mm. yeah. 
Yeah, no worries, Brian. It's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast today, mate. We'll get it uploaded no uh, this afternoon if you like. And uh, you can obviously please. share it to your uh, Dirty to Birdie Facebook page as well. And no doubt you'll get uh, quite a, hopefully we'll get uh, quite a few downloads from there as well. Because, uh, not, I mean, people do on that page, they they know obviously a bit about you, but there's always something they can learn if they download this sort of uh, podcast to find out something they may not have known about you. So I think yeah, uh, I think yeah. it's, uh, it's always good. So thank you very much for being a guest and uh, we'll get this uploaded. Have a great rest of uh, the weekend and Easter. I know we're all sort of in hibernation a bit, and, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but it is what it is and we just hope that uh, we'll be able to get out there and, and uh, life will be back to normal at some point. We'll see. Sounds good. Thanks, mate. See ya. Thanks, Tim.